What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Planeswalkers Anonymous, the magic podcast all about Catalyst stuff. And if you or anyone in your life shares our obsession with War of the Worm and Silent Departure, we are here for you. We won't rehabilitate, but we'll have a lot of fun. I'm Duncan, the guy playing Snapcaster Mage in every format. That's right, all of them. Donovan, what card do you want to have every game? I'm actually kind of big on War of the Worm. Can I just have that every game? Yeah. Yeah, I'm playing Snapcaster Mage in Standard, apparently, so you can have War of the Worm. I feel like my card's way less good than yours. But <laughs> whatever makes they both say Flashback, so... That's true, so Catalyst Stone likes both of them. Although, Snapcaster Mage less so. I guess Snapcaster Mage, Catalyst Stone gets along with, because they're like, yeah, yeah, you bring your friends, and I'll bring my friends, and they'll get along really well. But the two of them don't really interact. <laughs> but now, I have some good memories playing Roar of the Worm. That card's fun. Yeah, that was that was in quote unquote in standard when you and I were were pretty early to the magic scene. I mean, I say quote unquote. It's not like it wasn't actually in standard. The thing is, we had no idea what the word standard meant or type two. True. Even. Actually, yeah, I was like, I don't know if standard existed. Did it? I don't think so. It would have been type two, but <laughs> we weren't playing that either. We yeah, were I know. essentially playing type one, but we didn't know that either. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's why it's Type 1. It's everybody's first magic experience. Right? For those who don't know, because they're not old codgers like we are, like, before there was Standard and Legacy and Vintage and all, all of those, that terminology, there was Type 1 and Type 2. And Type 1, what we call Vintage now, is just, like, all of the magic cards. You can play anything, uh, you know, with ban lists and such, or reserve lists. You know what I mean. Um, not reserve lists either. Yeah, I, but we knew what you meant, so we decided to let it slide. Thank you, thank you. Anyway, and type 2 was what we now call standard. And so it was just the two different ways you played magic is type 1 and type 2. Yeah. So, Don, have you uh, played some magic recently? Yeah, on Arena, I haven't gotten to do another magic fest, which I've really been wanting to do. I was itching to do that, and I'm, I might get around to getting one of those in this weekend, but... I don't know, because I, I did see something about there being a pause in that stuff for a minute, and I don't remember if that was this week or not. I was about to say, I haven't played Magic either very much, but I actually did my uh, player drafts this last week since we recorded our last episode, didn't I? Just, yeah. You know, it seems like it was a long time ago. But yeah, I did a couple of drafts, and I think my first one, I really felt like I was drafting pretty well, and I drafted a blue-red deck that had... I don't know, cards in? I don't really remember now because I went 0-3. I just got destroyed. Three games in a row, my opponents just had the bomby bombs and took me out, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that just happens sometimes. I don't, like, surely there is something I could have done differently or better in, like, drafting or deck construction or play somewhere, or possibly all of them, you know, that would have mitigated this, but really... Just felt like you know, this is something that's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes you're going to run into people who all just had the nut job, you know? Yeah. I had an event where I had two Slitherwith and a copy of Voracious Great Shark. Yeah. And 10 or 12 more Flash creatures and spells and stuff. And I was just like, oh, we're going to do great, you know? And, like, I started off 3-0, and I was like, yeah! And then I lost the next three in a row. I was like, no! This deck was so good. I had three rares that were not only on color with each other, but, like, of a theme, you know? Synergistic. 
like they are a a strategy, and I have three rares that are of that strategy. Yeah, I'm gonna crush it. Yeah, so like my first first draft went real bad. I was like, yep, yep. I knew playing against actual players, this was this was I was gonna do bad, you know. But then my next one, I, I was drafting, and it just fell apart on me during the draft. You know, like I said, I felt like I drafted that other deck pretty well, even if it didn't turn out well. Well, this one, I did not draft well. Like, I I switched colors a couple of times, couldn't really seem to find what was open, and then I got past a... Man, I don't remember where at what point it was passed to me, but I know that I didn't open it. I got past a uh, Eerie Ultimatum, which is the black, white, and green one. And I had, like, a green creature and some black and white cards. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to do this, right? And Mm -hmm. I picked up a couple of green-white creatures. And then I got the the green-white companion, which has a thing about all your creature types, you know? Uh, It's like, oh, that's a pretty easy thing to follow, especially in this format. Uh, So I thought that would be good. And I started thinking about that in some of my later picks and... But it was just kind of a mess, you know, because I didn't really know what I was doing until the very end of the draft. And what I ended up trying to do was build green, white, and black using that white-green companion. Like, that's what I ended up deciding that was my deck. But I didn't decide that until, like, pack three and halfway through it, you know? So then when I looked at the cards I had after, I didn't have enough creatures in those creature types to play just those creatures. Like, even if, you know, I went a little heavy on my spells, I just didn't have enough. So I couldn't use that as my companion. So I jammed it in the deck and played that deck with some of the wrong creature types. Um, and I kicked butt. I didn't didn't go, like, 7-0 or anything. I think I ended up uh, getting four wins and then my three yeah. losses. I mean, but, it's pretty good. But it, it went pretty well. And almost every game, I ended up casting my Eerie Ultimatum. Uh, and I just, early on in the games, I played knowing that that Eerie Ultimatum was going to come eventually. Whether I had it or didn't have it, I just traded aggressively with my stuff, and I had some things with Death Touch and things like that, and I just get in there and let my stuff die, and then since it's limited, you know, the Eerie Ultimatum, what it does, it's triple black, then two white and two green, and it says you can return any number of permanents with different names from your graveyard to the battlefield, and since it's limited... I had very few duplicates, so I pretty much just returned everything I've played previously in the game back to the battlefield. That's going to be my enchantments and, and my creatures and everything, and, and it just worked really well just doing that. It kind of made me feel like the Sicoria format is just very Prince format, so they call it Prince or Pauper formats, where... Weighted on the uncommons and commons? Yeah, like whatever they're called. I mean, so that's, that's generally a good limited format. Some some formats, some limited formats, it really matters that you have a good bomb in your deck, and everything else is just to support getting to the point where you can play your bomb. And other limited mm-hmm. formats, like, there aren't really any your bomb make a big difference. You just need to have efficient stuff, and you can you can get there. And most <laughs> most formats, you can play either way to some degree or another, but it made me feel like Ikoria very much favors you having a big bomb in your deck, because that's what I've lost to. When I felt like I drafted a, a decent deck, as I just lost to people playing Companion or playing a giant mythic legendary. Or when I did win, I was playing the Eerie Ultimate, you know? Most of my losses have been poor deck building on them. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I like lose because I didn't put enough swamps in my deck and I have this double black spell stuck in my hand all game. Yeah, I was actually, well, I was going to say I was actually fairly surprised that I was able to cast my Eerie Ultimatum pretty much every game because it is, you know, triple black, then double green and double white. And my deck was primarily green white. Well, I think mm-hmm. I had like six swamps were my only black sources in the whole deck, right? But I also... You have several different cards that could help you fix your mana, though. Well, I think not even so much of that. I just had uh, I had two uh, adventurous impulses, and I, by the time I'm playing Eerie Ultimatum, it's going to be, like, turn seven. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It worked out. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds cool. I, yeah. I haven't really noticed my matches being too bomb-oriented on the Choreo Limited, but... I haven't played ex- Yeah, I have a fairly small sample size, too. That's why I wasn't saying, like, I think this is so. I was kind of just saying, like, that's the impression, impression. I got from small amount of mm-hmm. play that I got to do this week. Yeah, so looking it up, it looks like currently there's not any new Magic Fest coming out this week, which is really disappointing because I'd finally gotten some stuff organized where Mike could actually do it. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like, looks like uh, they wrapped up Season 2 this past weekend and... They're taking a break for a minute. Don't know if we're going to do a keep... season three or not. Yeah, I'll have to keep an eye out for if they do another one, because those are fun. Yeah, yeah, I think it's cool. But speaking of, though, the season two just wrapped up, right? Yeah, um, season two wrapped up this weekend. I actually got to watch the finals match. I, I missed game one, but I watched games two and three. Well, that tells us that it went to three games. Was it pretty intense? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. Um, Jason Florent was playing... Uh, Teamer Clover, or Teamer Adventures, whatever you want to call that deck. Right. And he was playing against good old Yellow Hat on the Just Guy Luca deck. And uh, Yellow Hat there's not really favored in that matchup. He's kind of got the unfavorable side of the matchup. But he's playing a powerful deck and has a good shot of winning. And he took it to game three, but uh, Jason Florent managed to get there. Yeah, Yellow Hat's playing Agent of Treachery Polymorph deck. Yeah, and it's, it's trying to get... Agent of Treachery out as quickly as possible. But the problem is, in that matchup, there's not really anything worth taking, because the Teamer Adventures deck is a bunch a bunch of small synergies on permanence and very powerful instants and sorceries, and the things that the permanents that make your instants and sorceries more powerful don't do anything without specifically adventure cards. And so if you steal their Lucky Clover or something like that, then it just doesn't do anything in your deck. So it's like, yay, you destroyed his Lucky Clover, but not really as powerful as you normally get out of your yeah. Agent of Treachery. It's like you can take the Lovestruck Beast, which is their biggest dude, right? The 5-5 five, five guy. Then it can't attack because you don't have a 1-1. One, one. Or <laughs> you can take like their Edgewalling Keeper, which is fine. But like that, I mean, when I say it's fine, it's, like, it's actually bad. It's bad for you. Yeah, and like they have Beanstalk Giants, which can be pretty big. But the Beanstalk Giants... Frequently only play them right before they fling them at your face. Yeah. So it's really hard to catch a beanstalk giant with the Agent of Treachery. And also if they do have a beanstalk giant out really early and you play your Luka and you make your Agent of Treachery and you take their beanstalk giant, yours might be a 5-5 instead of the 10-10 it was on the other side because you don't have the the fertile footsteps ramping you to end the lands. (laughs) Yeah. But this Teamer Clover deck is, or Teamer, whatever it is, the, the Lucky Clover Adventure deck is is pretty strong. I've played against it. It was, it was rough. Yeah, it's the Adventure deck's really cool, in my opinion. It's not a style of deck I like playing. I like, 
you know, putting creatures out and attacking with them, but it does do a little bit of that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. But it was really funny because Escape to the Wild is just ridiculous as far as providing temporary card advantage. And so there were times watching that match where it's just Jason Florent with his cards that he had cast earlier that were now on Adventures, plus his Escape to the Wilds cards. He frequently had like 12 cards that he could choose from to cast from. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a little bit ridiculous. But it was it was a really good match. Jason won game one, and then uh, Nassif took game two, and then they went to game three. And I think that Nassif managed to agent a treachery away a land, but it just wasn't enough, and Jason managed to snowball his adventure cards. And Sure. That'll do it, right? Yep. But it was a it was a pretty fun match. But as is pretty normal right now, because of, you know, the whole a pandemic situation, that's really all we've got in the way of events. You ready to go on and talk about the news? Sure, let's get there. Your daily newspaper. I actually missed the announcement about Historic Anthology 3, but that's coming out. And it's got some some neat looking cards in it. Yeah, it's a lot of cycling and flashback. I mean, not quite everything here, but it looks like they wanted to put a bunch of uh, basically. Like- yeah, it looks like they really had some strategies they wanted to push with this anthology thing, and like you can really see what card what what they're trying to do with it. You know? Yeah. So there's like there's a bunch of cycling cards, a bunch of flashback cards, and some of the cycling cards that they did are the Jim Palm guys that you kind of have an effect when you cycle yeah i was gonna say they're tribal cards that ah, yeah. are specific to a tribe and then there's like some of the stuff that's in here is going to be like mazes in that is obviously a gates deck card and the chantress's presence plus all these hondens yeah um the thing that i thought was kind of interesting about this is that when they made the announcement they they previewed the phyrexian obliterator and ulamog the ceaseless hunger mm-hmm. and then the rest of the rest of the cards got revealed at it from various sources on the 8th but yeah I knows, there's a couple of things in here like ratchet bomb and uh marari's wake and Acroma's memorial i think that approach the same level but really the big ones the big like exciting stuff in this they just gave us at the announcement you know and the rest of it's kind of like oh and this stuff too <laughs> yeah i mean some of these cards i think might be exciting to some brawl players like Marari's Wake and Akroma's Memorial, yeah. uh, Body Double. But yeah, I, I think that the big, the really big splashy cards are pretty much those two right there. But I mean, that's kind of intentional, right? Like when you're making the announcement, you want to hype it up as much as possible and you get the two biggest, flashiest things you can. Yeah, like I think that's one method. Yeah, and, but there there is some other cool stuff in here and some stuff that is going to be more exciting to players that play a specific archetype than others. So... They they may still be really excited about it, it the same way. Unburial Rites and Tectonic Reformation are both pretty cool cards to have in the right deck, right? Mm-hmm. And like Mazes in. You know, if you just like doing the Mazes deck, then this is like, hey, look, your deck is now in this format. Yeah, I, I think that it's something that's like, some of these will be exciting to some people, and like, I'm sure control players are like, oh, cool, timely reinforcements. Swan Song, those are great, you know? Yeah, but the, so, you know, there's 27 different cards. We'll have a link so you can check those out if, if you'd like to. Probably don't need to go over each card. And I think that really is the biggest, like, news item for Magic. There were a couple other things that I was going to bring up. Like, for instance, this is... Hey, when this airs, Ikoria comes out tomorrow in paper. Oh, really? Yeah. When it cool. airs, not, not now. 
Right. Yes. That's news. Sure. Do you have any other comment on that? Or Yeah, go to your local game store and buy yourself some pre-release kits. And you can take them home and play pre-release with your friends. Yeah. I bought myself a couple so I can take them home and battle people. Go to Boardwalk and get your Ikoria yeah. stuff. Even if it's not your local store, travel to Boardwalk. <laughs> I'd appreciate that, but I don't expect it out of everything. One of the other stories that I see a lot in the news, this is like been every week since this started, essentially. There's articles that I'm seeing about how successful Arena has been since this, all of this uh, COVID-19 stuff has been limiting people's abilities to go out. Yeah. And that's not surprising. And I haven't brought it up. The whole, like, pretty much every episode, it's been in the news, and I haven't mentioned it in our news section. Because to me, that's like, yeah, of course. It's a computer thing. It's going to get, it's going to do well when everyone's at home and all they can do is play on their computer. You know? Yeah. But the, the reason I wanted to mention it is because it just, it's been getting on my nerves. I want to point out, like, this headline that says, Despite global pandemic, Magic the Gathering Arena experiences strongest period since launch. And this is every single one of these articles. The fact that they're talking about this isn't what bugs me. It's the despite, like, Magic the Gathering Arena successful despite global pandemic. It's, it's like, no, it's, it's successful yeah. because of global pandemic. Right, that's the thing. I what that is got it some kind of clickbait thing, or that it must be some marketing person somewhere has been like, oh, the word despite really gets clicks because every single piece from various different news sources say that this despite like no, it's not despite them. That's literally not true. Yeah, um, in spite. I read that article that you had linked there, and it's it's just a bunch of air. Yeah, it doesn't There's say not that. any information in that article that you that's not exactly what you would expect. Yeah, I know. It's like, like and huh. I've seen probably people going people not going out is not good for businesses, but digital businesses are doing better than right. not digital businesses. Who knew? Yep, it's causal. It's a causal relationship. Yeah, but whatever. It's that's just dumb. To me. <laughs> the other thing that I was going to mention before we move on is that. There's a, and, and this isn't the first time they've done it, but there's this D&D magic crossover, because Wizards of the Coast makes magic, they also make Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And they've done this sort of thing before, and so there is a D&D book called Mythic Odyssey of Theros, which is some adventure you can go on in D&D that are on the plane of Theros with some magic and stuff in them. And that's been in the works for like a year or something like that. And we hadn't mentioned it because it's really a D&D thing that related to magic rather than, you know, the other mm -hmm. way around. But I yeah. thought I would, since we didn't have a whole lot else going on, I, I would bring this up because apparently it's getting delayed. You know, just just printing delays from this COVID-19 stuff. Uh, but if you've pre-ordered it, or I believe you still can order it now, you get a 50% off coupon for a digital copy of the book. And you'll get a cool, like, laminated dungeon map that you can yeah, use. Yeah, so what they did is they're, they are sending the codes for the 50% off coupon, and they're sending the maps to local game stores, and then they give them out to the first 50 people that order the thing. Right. I think it's like 50 of them. So if, if you pre-ordered it, you're most likely to get that. But if a store still has any left over, they can still give them out to the next however right. many orders they have left. So it's kind of like a first-come, first-served basis. Yeah. But yeah, that's essentially all the news, man. You want to, all right. uh, 
You want to tell us what's what's going on with the uh, Swiftfoot borrower? They didn't even need any money. They had magic cards. Yeah, I just I had a couple of different things I wanted to say, and they're kind of different ends of the spectrum here. Yeah, I was just looking at stuff, and Brazen Borrower is like ten bucks, and that card, whenever Paper Magic was you know being played, you could not find it for less than twenty bucks, and okay. there were times where it was thirty. And the deck that just won the event this past weekend is playing that card. I think at least three. Yeah, he's got four copies of the card in the deck that just won this event this past weekend. It's not like the card's not good anymore in the current meta. He's playing yeah. four. One of the people in the semifinals was playing three. You know, it's a very powerful magic card that's still very good. And sure. uh, it's a mythic rare in the not most recent set. That's not So it's not being opened right now as, as highly. And it's, yeah. it's way down in price. So I was just saying, if, if you're looking to play some Brazen Borrowers in the near future, it might be a good time to try and pick some of those up. So like, we can't guarantee anything about the future. We're, we on the show are specking on that Brazen Borrower right now at $10. Seems like a good price. Yeah, I think 10 bucks on a Brazen Borrower is a good deal. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is Swiftfoot Boots. I don't know. I don't know if this has spiked suddenly or what, if it's just kind of been creeping up over time. But that's like an uncommon in like 10 different sets. Most of those are just commander deck printings. And so it's not really all that easy to get copies of it, you know, because each deck yeah. still only has one in it. But it's it's got multiple printings. And I know anybody who played a lot of M12 limited and stuff like that probably have them laying around in boxes at home and stuff. And the cards like regular copies are like two bucks and a foil goes for 10. So... And, like, some of the editions, like, some of the more rare Commander deck printings are worth, like, $5. And so it's just, like, it's a it's one of those uncommons that always good and it's just, you know, yeah. it might be worth digging out of your uh, bulk boxes because it hasn't always been this valuable and you might have stuck some in there but when it wasn't something that was worth remembering. So sure. I, it's just one of those cards I think might be worth digging out. Would you say it's at right now? Is it about the over it's two It's 2 bucks? to $5 depending on the edition and 10 bucks for a foil. So it's just a, that's a card that I like. That might be a good one to go uh, bulk diving. Yeah, seems good. This sort of thing. That's I what I like to do is I like to pour all my cards out in a big swimming pool and just jump in <laughs> and see what I can find. If that didn't damage my cards, I'd be. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's just bulk. You don't need all of those. No, what I like about that, the Swiftfoot boots, is that this is the sort of thing that if you know you are the sort of person who's making their money by buying magic cards online that are underpriced and then reselling them, that sort of thing. The yeah. Swiftfoot Boots advice isn't going to get you anywhere, really, you know? Yeah, but it, probably too late on is, that. This is the sort of thing that would be great for anyone out there who, you know, is just trade some cards to get some of the things that they want so they don't have to spend as much money, is you very likely have a copy or two of Swiftfoot Boots somewhere worthwhile sticking your trade binder right now. That card's a couple bucks. It's uncommon yeah. for two bucks, mm -hmm. three bucks. That's good. And if you're a hoarder like me, you probably have some in some boxes. So. Right, and the reason I mention that is because I love that. When I can find an uncommon in my stuff that's worth a few bucks, that's the kind of stuff I want to stick in my binder because I don't care. I don't yeah, care if I, mean, I have this uncommon. Before they reprinted it in Amonkhet and it became virtually worthless, I had some uh, Aven Mind Sensors in my bolt that I just didn't know about, and the card was worth like $11. Yeah. And I pulled two or three of those out of there, and I was like, oh, sweet, here's some trades. Right. This good. is a lower scale, but it's from a more recent set where you're more likely to have more of them, so you might gain amount of value out of some boots. Right. 
And like you mentioned, it's in pretty much every commander deck. So you may have, if you buy any commander product, you probably got a couple extras. And you only for any of you your out there that go, but lightning grease is just better. Keep in mind, lightning grease are five to seven dollars. <laughs> sure. All right, man. Well, do you want to leave that there while we take a break and then uh, come back to tell us all about what's going on in Ikoria over the last Yeah, um, I actually really enjoyed reading the Ikoria book, and I'll be glad to tell people about it because it really explained what's going on in the story here. Cool. I, I couldn't really follow the story from just the cards like you can a lot of times. Yeah. All right, let's do that break, and we'll come back, and you can tell me what's actually going on in Ikoria. I'm Fenric Swindler. Due to recent city ordinance in Ravnica, we're now unable to offer ley lines. However, your old friend Fenric has always known how to make lemons into lemonade. With the mysterious sudden surge in ley line activity and a truly overwhelming quantity of ley line problems now infesting our fair city, Swindler's Mage Marks and Ley Lines is changing the name to Swindler's Pest Control. We've imported blade traps from Mirrodin and Springjaw traps from Corp. These are rated monsters that can protect your home or business from the most ferocious of pests. Visit Swindler's Pest Control before it's too late. Lemonade available only in medical. Please stop asking for lemonade. Oh man, Lauren, I think I should planeswalk over to Ravnica and, and pick up some traps. Sometime, because I'm pretty sure we've got a mouse in the house. I don't know. You might not need me more. You've dated enough traps. <laughs> hey, man. I knew. I always knew. <laughs> Sorry, I just wanted to say it. Oh, boy. Well, before this gets too personal, <laughs> why don't we just smash cut and change the subject to Ikoria? So... All our listeners probably know by now that each magic set has a story that kind of goes along with it. Even the ones where they didn't actually publish a book and stuff, there's usually some lore, some events that are happening that some of the cards are meant to represent. And at one point we mentioned that early on, and we had a listener who wrote in and was like, hey, I didn't know that was a thing. You yeah. guys should tell us the story. And so we're like, yeah, yeah, that's a thing we can do. So every set... We'll uh, check out the story in whatever form they do. It's most common in recent years has been an ebook, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll check that out and, and we'll describe it to you guys. However, I'm really bad at it because mostly because I'm just really busy and taking the extra time to read an entire book isn't something I couldn't do. I just have to be way more prepared and think about it in advance. Last week, we decided we were going to do that this week and I totally intended to and I bought the book. For Ikoria, it's called Sundered Bond. Oh, it's not Sundered Bondage? That sounds cool. What is that? (laughs) Can I have that book? I read the wrong book. I am so sorry. (laughs) Oh, dear. No, 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 no. I'm just kidding. Wait, wait, wait. Um, Is this some Twilight fan fiction that you read? I mean, from the stuff that I said, it's more likely to be, like, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. But that's Twilight fan fiction. What? Fifty Shades of Grey was originally written as Twilight fan fiction, and they had to take Twilight stuff out to publish. Oh, I didn't know that. Shows how much I pay attention to Fifty Shades of Grey. But yeah. Hold on. I don't think there are any Sundiers or any bondage going... I guess there's, like, literal bondage going on in the Sundered Bond. People get chained up and stuff. Yeah, it was Twilight. 
It was originally posted on fanfiction.net under the name Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Interesting. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so what I was saying was the the story of the Coriolayer Behemoth is Sundered Bomb, written by Django Wexler, who I'm pretty sure has been celebrated as being one of the more successful magic authors in the past. And Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I think he wrote some of War of the Sparks stuff. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. Um, but I, I could be wrong about that. I could probably go and fact-check, but we've already fact-checked Fifty Shades of Grey. Now we've <laughs> used up all of our fact-check. But anyway, so that's available on Amazon, Kindle, uh, Nook, wh- whatever you'd like to read it on. And Donovan and I each got it last week, and we decided we're going to do that this week. And Donovan, you know, was responsible and actually read the book before we were supposed to do the podcast. I, to be honest, I probably had time if I'd have spent it on reading the book. But, uh, you know, I also was pretty busy, and I just didn't get around to it slash make the time to read the book. So Donovan's going to be telling me the story as much as he is anyone else this week. And uh, I look forward to hearing about it. Yeah. Donovan, should I just let you have the floor now? Sure. It wasn't too long, so I didn't have to take too much time out of my day. Cause it's only a 150-page book, and that's including all of the credit pages and title pages and all that, right? Sure. Um, this is like a young adult novel style. Yeah, it's just a little novella, pretty much. But sure. So one of the things I really liked about the book is that I think I mentioned this earlier. Just like looking at the cards and stuff, I don't really know what's going on in Aquaria. Like what is like what is this place? You know, like there's obviously yeah. some people that have like their own stronghold, and there's a bunch of monsters, but they're weird monsters, and there's bonders and like all that stuff you know it's like i don't i don't really know what's going on just from the cards there's like nightmare turtle squirrels and stuff yeah but so what it is is this the way this plane works like there are humans but for them to survive they have to pretty much stay to their settlements and at the beginning of the story there aren't bonders actually like i guess there are at the beginning of the story but the advent of bonders is a very recent advent that hasn't even traveled like, news of it hasn't even traveled throughout the world yet. Like, not everybody knows that's a thing. Um, and, and anyone who's listened to our previous episodes may already know, but anyone who hasn't, bonders are humans that have, well, bonded with a monster to become kind of like a, not not a single being, but a connected. Yeah, they're, they form a, a like, a psychic um, connection. Yeah. share emotions and feelings through that and communicate. deeper than being friends. Yeah. But there's a couple of different big settlements for people. There's Dranith, which is like a fortress where they fight off the monsters when they come. And then there's Skysail, which is a basically just like a whole bunch of different airships tethered together and like there's not any like actual Skysail that's its own thing. It's just people. Like the floating city, but it's floating in the sky. Yeah, it's just floating in the sky, and the way it gets away from the monsters is it just runs, you know? It's just, oh, we moved the city. There was monsters coming, so we, we moved the city. Also, well, I guess I don't know this for certain, but it seems like you maybe would have less monsters in the sky. Like, I know there are flying monsters, but surely yeah. fewer than... Yeah, and you have a little bit, most of the time, you have a little bit better uh, view of which monsters are coming. And then there's Lava Brink, which it, since nobody goes there in the book, it doesn't really explain exactly what Lava Brink is, but apparently it's a place where the, the city is hidden inside like a volcanic crater or something like that. And so they're just, they're, they are hiding from the monsters, but 
they don't re- they don't really have a good way of stopping the monsters from getting in if they get found. So I don't. It doesn't really okay. explain that. But the people of Dramath are always talking about how they're better than Lava Brink or Sky Sail because they actually fight the monsters off. And it's like, well, how are the like what do the Lava Brink people do if the monsters come? You know, <laughs> like I don't know. So I think, like you said, it's not in the book, which I didn't read, so don't know anything about what's in the book or not really. But uh, I believe I read on the Magic website in like a you know flavor explanation thing that the city of Lava Brink is surrounded by a curtain of falling lava, which I'm not really sure how the physics of that work, you know, like, yeah, why and where is that going and stuff like that, but basically, it they stay inside there, and then if monsters do show up, very few monsters are interested in walking curtain of falling lava, so. Cool, but yeah, so that's like, maybe they have like some Mad, some some magicians and stuff that can open up a curtain in the lava to let people through so they can go out. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure it's some stuff. Like- but yeah, so it's, that's like the setting here, and the way the monsters work is, there's not really like species of monsters. They they have what are called uh, clades, which is just kind of like overarching species, but the way the monsters work is like all the monsters are pretty much unique. They, whenever a monster, it doesn't go into, like, how monsters are born and stuff, but, like, they they mutate and stuff, and, like, that's what's supposed to be represented in the mutate mechanic and, like, the keyword counters and stuff. Like, the way those are supposed to be... What those are supposed to be doing is representing how, like, the monsters change over time and, like, everyone is different because you're not going to have the same mutations together and stuff like that. Okay. And so, like, all the different monsters are supposed to be, like, their own thing. But they separate so, them into different clades, which is just, like, stuff like there's elemental ones, and there's ones that are feline, and there's ones that are um, dinosaurs, and there's ones that are nightmares, and stuff like that. And so the people of Dranith, who the story is kind of focused on, is pretty much focused on specifically Luca, is the main character. He's, he's a planeswalker. Not at the beginning of the story. This is another one of those, like, this is how he got his spark stories. And so at the beginning of the story, he's just a soldier in the Copper Coat Army, and he's a high, fairly high-standing one. He's a captain, which isn't especially high-ranking, but he is the head captain of the, the elite fighting force. They're called the Specials. And at the beginning of the book, he is going out on an uh, expedition, and what the Specials do is they go out and they hunt monsters in the nearby wilderness just to try and keep there from being so many that come towards town and kind of keep the city slightly safer. They go out and hunt monsters in the nearby wilderness, whereas most copper coat soldiers stay in town and just whenever a monster comes, they fight it. And so the specials also, if a big, if a big monster comes that the regular forces are having trouble with, they get tasked with going and fighting that. And so their, their job basically is fighting the big monsters, right? So he's out on the hunt and he comes back to town and they get word that there's a monster that flew in and it's hiding in a farm and they go to the farm and the monster basically just kills all of Luca's team. It appears smarter than the average bear and well, it's a cat, but it shows a lot more depth of strategy and it, the traps that they have set up and stuff like that are, it recognizes that they are dangerous and doesn't go near them. And so Luca and his sergeant are the last two left, and they're they're running away, and Luca turns to face the monster, and then the next thing he knows, he's in the hospital, and he finds out from eyewitnesses and stuff, some kind of magical energy appeared between him and the monster, and 
he passed out and the monster left. Oh, so, okay, so he is bonded with the monster, right? Yes. Like that's, that's the thing. So that kind of, I guess, it answers my question, but then makes an additional, like, further question, right? Because what I was wondering is, I would have guessed that the bonding thing, like, all the bondage happened, like, after extensive time spent with the monster, and, like, learning to get along with it and stuff, and then you develop a bond. But this is more like an instantaneous magic thing. Yeah, it seems like some kind of instantaneous magic connection. And it's involuntary? You don't... Yeah, it... I think the idea is supposed to be that some people and some monsters can bond, and there may be a way to do it on purpose, or and it and just the the heightened emotions and energy of the situation caused it to happen this one time. You know, I don't know, but it it doesn't. The book's not really about explaining bonders, which I think is unfortunate because I think that that was a way cooler part of the story, and I kind of wish they went more (laughs) into that. Yeah, but that's not really a problem the rest of what they did talk about which is luca's struggle with trying to get home was it was good it was interesting he wake up in the hospital yeah he woke up in the hospital and this is the this is the beginning right he wakes up in the hospital and the general comes and talks to him and says that uh we've heard word that there's people betraying humanity and they're becoming friends with monsters and living in the woods and stuff and everything that you happened to you in that farm is what we hear that that is so we think you've betrayed humanity now <laughs> and that sounds a bit ridiculous yeah it's supposed to be he's the general kudrow is who the guy's talking to him is supposed to be a racist old man he just happens to be in charge and so like that's supposed to be he's supposed to be a racist old man and racist old men say stupid stuff so this thing happened clearly this was not a thing i did on purpose you know it general kudrow implies that he thinks that Luca wanted this connection, and so he's a traitor to humanity. Okay. But there's absolutely no evidence to support that claim. All right. <laughs> so it's one of those things that's like, this man is being unreasonable, but there's not really anything you can yeah, do about it because he has absolute he's power. He's the dictator of this city. And so he's going to have Luca executed, but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't tell Luca that, but that's what's going to happen. And so the general's daughter, who is Luca's fiance talks to Luca, and her name is Jerina, and she's like, hey, I don't I don't think you're a traitor to humanity. You don't seem like a traitor to humanity. Uh, this just seems like you're in a really bad situation. So she helps him sneak out of the city, and by sneak out, they end up, what they do is he takes her hostage and with and has her at knife point while he runs out the doors. <laughs> sneak. Right. Yeah. They were, <laughs> I right. think they just, Everyone's definition of sneaking. Right. Yeah. No, I think that was supposed to be... I don't think they were supposed to sneak out of the fortress, but that got them out of the fortress, and then he's supposed to sneak out of the city because, you know, there's no television and stuff to broadcast the stuff to the public, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, so he has, he has time to, like, you know, run out of the city. If, if he, he can sneak out once he's outside of the fortress because the people in the general city don't know that he's no longer in good standing. Sure. So he's trying to get out of the city, and uh, he gets caught by the guard, and somebody shows up that a mysterious figure comes shows up and saves him and it's vivian oh yeah at this point he doesn't know and she gets him out of the city and then she tells him hey i showed up on this plane because i thought it was interesting and there's cool monsters here actually sorry she doesn't tell him anything at this point she just tells him that she 
a foreigner and she sensed some weird magic and she followed it to him and then he looked like he needed help so she helped him and so vivian is there because she's looking for a planeswalker who did some naughty stuff yes and so so luca and vivian get out of the city right and kudro tells jarena basically to prove that you're not a traitor you have to take these monster hunter people and go hunt luca down and bring him back so that we can execute him in front of all the peoples. And okay. so she teams up with some monster hunters, and the monster hunters are basically mercenaries. They're not like copper coat soldiers or anything. And so she's like, well, I don't want to deal with these people, but I, wa- I want to go because if somebody else goes, they'll definitely kill Luca. And I want to go and like at least talk to him first. She wants to go and not kill Luca. Yeah, she wants to go and not kill Luca, but she's not... You know, not 100% opposed to killing Yeah, Luca. she's like, well, if it turns out that Luca is just an evil person that's bonded with a monster and we can't save, I guess I'll kill him, you know? Okay. But she doesn't believe that, and so she doesn't want somebody else to go do it. But she doesn't believe he's bonded with the monster, or she doesn't believe that he's bad because he bonded. Well, she believes that he's bonded with the monster, she just doesn't believe that he wanted to and that he's evil. I still like the idea that Vivian showed up because... She came to this plane looking for a planeswalker who did something naughty and then got distracted by the bondage. Yeah. And so Vivian and Luca are talking and he says, well, you tracked me to, can you track down the um, monster? Because if we, if we track down the monster and I kill it and I bring it back, then maybe General Kudrow will let me back in. That doesn't sound like a plan that Vivian would support. Um, well, I mean, he did tell her that the monster like killed all his friends. So Okay. <laughs> and... So then Luca and Vivian go after the monster, and then Jarena and the hunters are tracking him, and they, they catch up with him, and Vivian, like, does her magic stuff, and the monster helps Luca, and so Vivian and Luca manage to escape, and they fly off on the back of the giant winged cat that is Luca's bondage mate thing. Okay. And during that time... Luca kind of communicates with the monster some accidentally, and he finds out, oh, the monster was being driven to attack Dranith by some kind of magical influence coming out of the Ozolith, because the Ozolith is a crystal formation that is very significant and, like, is very easy to recognize, and so, like, he sees a mental image of the Ozolith from the cat, and so he knows it's the Ozolith. The cat doesn't, like, So I was going to ask, like, is the Ozolith, a thing that he previously familiar with, or he's like, this thing it's is a, the bad It's thing. a really famous, like, rock formation in Ikoria. Okay. So, like, Mount Rushmore. They're like, oh, I just discovered this monster was told to, to do all this by George Washington's head on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Okay. And so, and then that's when Vivian tells him she's a planeswalker and explains that she's there tracking another planeswalker that, and that she's like, I wanted to come here and, like, see these monsters, but then, like, this planeswalker came here. And I don't trust him, so I thought I definitely should come and check that out. And this sounds like something he would do. So we should go to the Ozolith and see if we can undo that. Does she say who this is? No, she does not. Okay. She implies that it's not Nicol Bolas because Nicol Bolas has been defeated. But this is... She implies that? But, or, or it is implied? She implies that she knows Nicol Bolas is defeated, and she also knows who this planeswalker is. Okay. And so it would it would seem that it's not him, but this... Also, the stuff that happens here is the kind of stuff he would do. So, like, it makes you go, is he actually as locked down as people think? Tesseract? I mean, it could be Tesseract. I don't know. But I'm just commenting that. You still don't know, or are you just maintaining the illusion? 
I don't know. Okay. He is not revealed in this book. Oh, all right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go on. Um, and so they're going to go to the Ozolith, and then on their way there, they run into another Bonder and her partner, and they talk to her, and she says, yeah, all the other Bonders... Says, yeah, bondage is great. ...said that there's some weird energy coming off the Ozolith, and that their monsters were kind of affected by it, and so we tried to go there... And there's all these nightmare clade monsters there guarding it, and we couldn't get close to it, even though we had some pretty good fighters with us. And so Vivian and Luca are like, well, we're pretty good fighters too. Maybe with your friends and us, we can get there. And the Bonder girl's like, yeah, maybe. So I'll call my friends. And so they she calls <laughs> yeah, her friends. we'll try again. So they, they're going to go to the Ozolith. Then Jarena and her hunters are back in the woods, and they're like, well, they just flew off on the back of a cat, and we don't fly. So we need to get some some wings. So they hitch a ride to Skysail because apparently if you light a campfire the right way, somebody will fly down and pick you up. I don't really... They they communicated via smoke signals they could use a ride to Skysail, and somebody who was going to Skysail saw it from a long way off and detoured around to pick them up. Apparently, like, the culture of Skysail, I guess, is just like... if. It, it's a haven, and if people need a ride there, you should do that because you don't want to leave people in the woods to die. Because okay. maybe one day you're so in the they, woods, they, you know? They use Fantasy Magic Uber. Yeah, to get they to use Fantasy Magic Uber to get to Sky City. Sky City. And they hire a boat that's really fast. And, well, um, they went to the sky to hire a boat? What? You said they hire a boat. It's a sky boat. <laughs> no, they, they hire themselves a really fast ship. Can do the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. <laughs> Although that doesn't necessarily about speed. I mean, you could just have power, but speed I mean, is the implication. It's distance. You gotta, you gotta skirt really close to the black holes in order to pull that off. Yeah, but... So it's really it's piloting skills. Than well, the point ship. is that if your ship is fast enough that you can fly closer to the black hole before you get pulled into it because you had enough momentum going, you don't have to... Is that, what, is that how it's related to speed? Well, yeah, that's how it's related to speed. That's why he's because he's like he's saying the ship was fast because it did the Kessel Run in twelve parsecs. Yeah, I know that's what he said. But like, but so it, it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't make sense unless you understand what was going on there, which may be retconned information. But <laughs> it's the information that is there and is the explanation is that the Kessel Run being a bunch right. of black holes, you can fly between them, like because their event horizons aren't overlapping. You fly between them or around them and stuff like that to get through that area of space is the Kessel Run. Right. And yeah, I, I get that. If you can do smaller arcs on your curves around the black holes, then you can do a shorter distance and therefore get places faster. But the point being, if you're going to do a smaller arc, you need a faster ship. All right. So well, now that we have finished with Star Wars, <laughs> about Aquaria. Yeah. So they get themselves a really fast ship, and they're going to go track down Luca. Um, I don't remember how they do that though. I think they just I think they just magic it and they're just like and we have magic. We'll track him with the magic. So magic hand wave, they track Luca. Yeah. And so they're Luca and his team are going to the Ozolith. Jarena and her team are going to the Ozolith. They all get to the Ozolith, right? And Luca and his team get there a little faster because, you know, they didn't go to a separate city and haggle for a ship first. Right. They did I guess go to a little powwow with some bonders first but anyways luca and his group get there first and they're fighting their way towards the ozolith 
and they're doing a pretty good job. They're kind of winning against the nightmares. And uh, Luca, they they're like, Luca, take off and go to the Ozolith. See if you can use your Bonder magic that you don't know how to use at all. But we've decided you're going to do it to contact the Ozolith. Is he the only one with the flying bondage monster? He is the only one with flying bondage monster. I think is act- maybe that's why. Yeah, but I mean, like, like could have just had one of the other people ride the cat. Somebody who like knew how to use their Bonder skills. But they decide that Luca's going to go do it, right? And so Luca goes to the Ozolith, and he gets there, and there's, like, a voice that, like, talks to him inside his own head, I think. It, I think it's talking in his head. So he could just be a crazy person, doesn't really say. But it's implied that it's the planeswalker that Vivian was tracking. Yeah, typically in magic fantasy stories, hearing voices is a magic thing, not an insanity thing. But that's not always true. <laughs> yeah. But, no, he hears a voice coming from the Ozolith that tells him, hey, you could use this power to control the monsters. And he's like, yeah, I could. I thought specifically controlling monsters was the thing that got him executed. Well, executed. Yeah, but he's thinking, like, but if I could control a bunch of monsters via this Ozolith power, then I could, like, protect the city from other monsters by having all these monsters on patrol outside of it that I control. And so, like, if I bring an, if I bring a bunch of monsters to Dranith, then they'll be happy and they'll let me come back in. Uh, yeah, that seems like that. <laughs> but anyway, um, so then Jarena and her crew show up, and the hunters kind of like blindsigned all the bonders that are still fighting the nightmares, and they, you know, they're fighting the they fight the nightmares too, and it's kind of a three way battle. But the bonders were on the outside edge of this fight, and people showed up behind them, so it's like it's a three way battle, but the bonders are kind of stuck in the middle. And so the Bonders are starting to lose, and then Luca takes the power from the Ozolith and can, starts controlling all the nightmares. And, like, they were kind of working together in a sense of not fighting each other before, but with Lu- under Luca's direction, they, like, coordinate and use strategy, and all these nightmare monsters stop trying to attack the Bonders and just attack the Hunters and the Skyship okay. and just utterly destroy it. Okay, so, so the thing that, like, tempted Luca... Like, it worked. Like, a lot of times in this sort of story will happen, it'll be like, oh, you could use this power. It's like, okay, yeah, I'll use it. And it's like, ah, yeah, like we're going to let that happen. But no, he does. He can just yeah take control of all the monsters. Yep. Okay. So he takes control of all the monsters and defeats the skyship. And Jirina was in the skyship when he knocked it out of the sky. Okay. And so he's talking to the other bonders and he's like, hey, I can control all these monsters this is great. And they're like, no, you should, you should, should not do that because the bond, the monsters are our friends and we've made this magical connection with them and they're people too. You shouldn't mind control them. That's bad. And so they don't like the way he's using the magic point being the bonders are like monsters have personalities and sentience. So like we shouldn't mind control them. And Luca's like, nah, I'm a mind control them. And so he tries to take over the minds of the bonded monsters but the bonded monster's connection with their bonders protects them from that enough that they can at least get away from him. He kind of feels like he might actually could do it, but he doesn't manage it before they get away. And so Luca decides, was like, well, I'm going to gather an army and I'm going to go to Dranith. And while I'm doing that, hey, where's my cat thing? I can't find my cat thing among all these other monsters. I wonder what happened to it. Where's Jirena? I'll see if she's still alive because I didn't specifically tell them to kill her in the boat. Maybe she's still alive, right? Turns out the cat thing knew that Luca cared a lot about Jirena, so it rescued her out of the boat and started flying her back to Dranith. Okay. But Luca's connection with the Ozolith is overriding his sense of the bond with the cat, so he doesn't still feel it. 
and he can't still communicate with the cat as well because he's got this other magic flowing through him in the same way place where his bond magic was flowing through before. And it's just the sensory overload or whatever making him not able to really use the magic ability he damned anyways. And so the cat is flying Jirena back to Draneth because it's trying to rescue her from the fight because she it knows that Luca cares about her. And the other hunters are all dead and the Bonder peoples ran off into the woods with Vivian. Um, so Luca gathers himself an army. Vivian and the Bonders disappear and Jirena's winging towards Draneth. And she gets to Draneth and she's like, oh crap. Um, this cat just saved me, so obviously it's not all bad, but we're going to fly into the city that's studded with ballistas and crossbows and stuff, and they're going to kill this cat. Right. And so she, like, gets the cat's attention and, like, communicates with it via hand-waving and yelling to make sure the cat knows it's important. She's like, hey! Stop! Land! And, like, it doesn't know what words are, but it sees that she's pointing at the ground, and so it's like, oh, I guess I'll land. So the cat starts landing, but they're already too close to the city walls. And so luckily for them, there's, this is a, one of the outer walls that doesn't have a lot of ballista. And so there's not a ballista within range of this wall. If they got to some of the inner defenses, they would have definitely got shot down, which appeared to be where the cat was heading before she <laughs> waved it down. So they get to the wall and she's like, oh, crap, it's going to land on the wall where all the soldiers are. This is not going to go well, right? So the soldiers are freaking out, and they fire a bunch of crossbow bolts at the monster at kind of an angle that's just going to kill Jarena, right? She's like, oh, those are going to hit me. But the, like the last second, the monster twists and like blocks all the crossbow bolts with its body and like lands on the, the wall, and Jarena kind of like tumbles off and is like, hey, don't kill the monster. It's nice. Just capture it. And then like passes out because she got injured in the wreck, and she hasn't eaten in a while. And- fell off the monster onto the wall, right? So she's, like, not in good shape. And she wakes up in the hospital now, and General Kudrow tells her, hey, you must have bonded with this monster. We're going to execute you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but she does wake up in the hospital, and General Kudrow's like, uh, I'm guessing... Oh, oh, I thought you were saying that General Kudrow told her, oh, we're going to execute you. No, I'm no, no, I'm kidding. General <laughs> Kudrow has no sense of humor. But he's like, he tells her, hey, obviously your mission didn't go great considering you did not bring Luca back, and uh, the monster brought you back, right? He says, like, oh, but the soldiers heard you say not to kill the monster, so they did just capture it. And uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to prove to the people that you're still loyal to the city. And so he marched her out to the front steps of the fortress and gave her a sword and said, chop the monster's head off. And she's like, yeah, I can't do that. Like, it saved my life twice, because it saved me from the, the skyship as it was plummeting towards the earth, and then it stopped the soldiers from shooting me with their crossbows by sticking itself between me and them. So, like, I, I can't just kill it. And so he's like, okay. So he picks up the sword and chops its head off. Oh, dang. Yeah. So, sadly, hero of the story is now dead. Um, the Game of Thrones us. General Kudrow's like, alright, so we're gonna take you because, obviously, since Lucas Cat saved you, he still cares about you. So we're gonna y- use you as a bargaining chip to convince Luca to come quietly, and maybe we can get him to disband his army. She's like, uh, I mean, that's probably not going to work. And he's like, oh, no, I know it's not going to work. That's just what we're going to pretend to do before we assassinate him. And so they're going to go meet Luca's army in the field. So they go meet Luca in the field, and Luca's got an army of monsters now from all these different types. There's big dinosaurs and all this stuff that they've got in the, this army. And the night before the parlay, Jarena's in her you know, prison tent 
on the on the road to meet Luca and the bonder that was like the most friendly one and Vivian show up and they're like hey um we saw that Luca cared about you and cuz they they both talked to Luca and they knew he cared about her during their trip to the Ozolith and also we know that you're the general's daughter so we figured that you might could help us negotiate something between the two camps to maybe get Luca to to back down you know and we thought that you're the most likely person to provide an avenue of peace and she's like yeah no nobody's going to listen to me at this point so yep i have alienated everyone <laughs> actually sorry and so um Vivian and the Bonder girl are just kind of like, well, um, we'll hang out and see if there's anything we can do. But I, like, I don't really know that there's anything we can do. So Luca and the general have their little parlay. And on their way up to the parlay, the general's like, hey, here's a knife, Jarena. If you get a chance to kill Luca, then we won't kill you whenever we come back. Because he's cold-hearted. Does he think that's going to work? Yeah. Like, he's like, hey, you person that I have treated very badly, here's a knife. Use it the way I tell you to. No other way. Yeah, because if they if she doesn't, he'll kill her. And you know, since he has, since this is his literal daughter, and he doesn't care about her at all, then he would he assumes that other people don't actually have emotional bonds. <laughs> but he's like, I think you're the only one that might be able to get close to Luca without him suspecting anything. So here's a knife. If you kill him, we'll let you live. You won't be in the army anymore, but you'll get to live. And so they're doing their little parlay and. She's talking to Luca, and she's like, yeah, Kudro told me to, to kill you. And so then Luca springs his trap at that same time, which had to have already been in place for, it's not like he got told that. He's like, oh, I better do something, you know? And these monsters that had been... Oh, I better organize an elaborate trap. The monsters that had been tunneling under the ground, like tunnel under the camp of uh, General Kudro's army that he brought with him, and also a film of them tunnel up right under the middle of that parlay. And just start attacking all the, the humans, and Luca runs a sword through General Kudro. Okay, nice. And so Jarena gets, like, knocked into the river, I think, and Vivian and the Bonder girl rescue her. And so they're talking to Jarena, and Jarena says, well, without Kudro there, the command structure in the fortress is kind of crap. Like, it's been kind of under his iron fist for so long that without him there, it's going to be kind of confusing about who should be in power. And really, like, before all this happened, Luca was like the golden boy, and Jirena was kind of like the general's daughter that everybody thinks is one day going to become the next general, you know? And with the both of them outcast, there's not really anybody that is going to have a good firm control of things. Like, there's the highest ranking officer, and they know who that is. It's not any confusion about that, but it's just like people like... Yeah, but that person is incompetent. Yeah, I mean, that person was like a bureaucrat that had risen to power because Kudro like, ran everything and just needed somebody to deal with all the paperwork. Yeah. And so she's like, I think if I just use my rapport with all the soldiers and stuff that I've built up over these years, I can convince the people of the city to work with me because I can... I have a strategy for how to stop Luca and his army. And so... So Luca's still into the, we're going to use monsters. So, oh, I guess I should have explained that. In the little parlay, Luca at the beginning is like, hey, I brought to protect the city with. And the general's like, nah, that ain't going to fly. And so Luca's like, okay, I'll just take over the city now. And if I just beat you into submission, then I can go home. So Luca's a dick. Yeah, um, I, it kind of, like, he gets to be more and more of a dick after the, like, 
talking to the Ozolith thing. And so I think he might have been kind of arrogant before. power corrupts, right? Yeah. And so I was going to say, like, throughout the story of this, he's, like, being influenced by the Ozolith. And at the end of it, there's definitely some hints that that influence is still lingering within him. Like, he, he still has those kind of similar feelings. But it is possible that as more time passes without him not being connected to the Ozolith anymore, he'll, you know, get his head on straight. So, oh, Jarena asked Vivian and the Bonders, like, hey, can you get more Bonders? Because I think, I think we might have a shot of stopping Luca if we have some, some more Bonder monsters with us and we have the forces of Draneth unified together, then maybe we can actually stop him. And so they go to the city with some Bonders and they go up to the city gates peacefully and they have Jarena like walk up with the other people sitting outside of range of the missile and says like, hey, these people are peaceful. They're here to help us because there's an army of monsters coming and we need all the help we can get. And with her reputation and stuff like that, that works and she gets into the city. And so Luca and his army are kind of marshalling on the outside of the city and he gets a, some more monsters together and they go and they're, they're going to siege the city and they attack the city and that kind of is a big old battle, right? And the way um, Jarena's plan works is she's planning on, at some point, somehow, using herself as bait to bait Luca out is all she really explains to the reader. And they talk to Vivian about allies and stuff, and Vivian's like, man, if I could communicate with Narset, maybe she would help. That's the only mention of Narset in the book, but she's in the set, so I thought I'd mention it. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, Vivian's like, if I could communicate with Narset, Narset might. And... And she's like, yeah, but Narsa's kind of busy, so she probably won't hear me. And that's, like, the end of that. <laughs> so Luca's there, and he's got a, a really big turtle. Maybe it's Yadaro the Wandering Monster. I don't know. But it's a really big turtle whose back is basically like a mountain. And he uses that as, like, a siege tower to get monsters over the wall. And uh, Jarena, like, once the fighting's gone on a while and there's not any monsters on the siege tower anymore, they've all come off the siege tower and are fighting in the city and stuff like that. She jumps onto the siege tower and goes after Luca. The turtle. Yeah, the siege turtle. And she and Luca get in a fight. Luca kind of kicks her ass. And she bails off the turtle using her bonder friend and lands on her monster to keep her from dying. Jarena planned this apparently ahead of time. And Jarena jumps off the, the turtle and lands on the, the fluffy monster. And they run, off, they run a little bit of ways. And Luca comes down to fight her. And then all the bonders that they had ambush him right like ah luca we've got you now right and he's like no i can use the ozolith to stop you and he just starts drawing on more power from the ozolith starts to he's like i'm gonna overpower these monsters i thought i could do it before and i'm gonna do it now and he just draws on more power and then he hears that voice going hey uh you should stop that you should should stop drawing all that power that's not good he's like no i know what i'm doing obviously he does not (laughs) um and, I and he, like, takes over the minds of the, the monsters that are bonded to the people. And they're about to kill their bonding partners. And then the Ozolith explodes. Like, and it is miles away, and you can see it from Draneth. It's like, uh, Ozolith could not handle funneling that much energy into Luka. Big mushroom. And out. it just, pew, explodes, right? And so then all those monsters that had controlled and forced to come gather around Draneth are now there. And pissed off. Um, yeah, and Luca vanishes. Um, yeah, right there. Yeah. Walks away. But the bonded monsters and the bonders and the army of Draneth are now able to handle all these monsters because 
they're no longer coordinating and working together. And so without all of that going on and Vivian's help, like Vivian has lots of planeswalker magic stuff, you know? And so they're able to defend off the monsters once they're no longer under a coordinated general, right? And Jarena takes control of the city for reals because they're like, oh, hey, your plan to save us worked. And she passes a law saying like bonded monsters aren't allowed in like the main citadel because like a people will be scared b they don't really fit but they can hang out in like the outer rings of the city and that's fine and so like the bonders are now allowed in the city and the city has more powerful defenses because it has bonders that are willing to protect it now yay everybody's happy in draneth right and vivian's like um i need to go track down the guy who was fiddling with the ozolith because he's a bad guy and i need to go track him down so she goes off and Luca wakes up in a swamp, and he's like, I don't know where I am. It doesn't matter. I need to get food, shelter, water, and then I can worry about where I am. And then, like, a bunch of monsters jump out of the darkness, and he's like, oh, maybe I can control them. And he's like, I can. I still have the Ozolith power to control monsters. It's just way less powerful without, you know, the Ozolith existing anymore. Yeah, and he kind of suspects he's planeswalked somewhere because he talked to Vivian about what planeswalking and stuff, right? But he doesn't really know for sure. But he takes over like some of the mon- one of the monsters and uses it to fight off the other ones. And he's like, "I'm gonna get back to Draneth one day." And that's the end of the book. Okay, so I, I have a yes. couple things. One, I guess in Draneth, I guess it's good to have men place the like evil fascist dictator with a slightly no. less evil Benevolent dictator. dictator. Baby steps, right? I think it is a dramatic improvement to have her in charge instead of Kudro, especially because she's not as much a racist. The other thing that I was wondering was, you know, I, I'd speculate just off of kind of like Nicol Bolas, but not Nicol Bolas. Maybe Tezzeret? But then, when you were talking about the Ozolith and all the nightmare monsters and stuff, I was like, oh, hold on. I know a player who might be down for, like, naughty stuff and is into nightmares. When they were first going to the Ozolith, I was, I was thinking it might be Chainer. But I think he's dead, so... <laughs> Because whoever was doing the stuff with the Ozolith apparently has some kind of an affinity for, you know, nightmares. Yeah, but I know another planeswalker who might be... Ashiok? Ashiok, though, has a, like an affinity like... for, like, literal nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought, like, Ashiok would kind of make sense, too. But I was like, I didn't want it to be Ashiok, though, because Ashiok was, you know, in the previous plane. So I was just, just kind of going, like, ah, I hope it's somebody else. And so, like, my, like, casting out, I was like, oh, man, it'd be cool if it was, like, Chainer. But it's like, I think he's dead. But, you know, he wasn't a planeswalker. So maybe he's not dead and he is a planeswalker, you know? He's just like, they thought he was dead, but he planeswalked awake. All right. Well, I mean, I, I think there's some interesting stuff there to speculate on. And we kind of know yeah. what's going on in the plot line, which I guess really, there's there's the setting. Like, we learned something about the Aurea mm-hmm. plane, right? And then there's Bonders is a thing that's happening. Yeah, And... and- I kind of wonder of it also. Sounds like it's not particularly to the if um, the if there is something about Ikoria that's changed that created this Bonder thing, or if it's just a thing that could have happened before, but it required like the right monsters to run into the right people, or if maybe it was happening before, but not in enough frequency near enough cities that people knew about it. But whatever the case, I was just like I think that it the Bonder stuff could have been really cool, and I really think I would have more liked a book in the style of the original Ravnica books, where it's told from the perspective of... that one's, Those are told by a perspective of a soldier, just some guy that's living in the time period. And I think it would have been cool to like have some Bonder books or some books about, about the hunters or something like that. 
But, you know, recent storylines and stuff have pretty much all focused on the Planeswalkers. But I also do like some of the older books, too, that were like, this is how this person became a Planeswalker stories. I thought those were cool, too. And that's what this one is. The story of how Luca became a Planeswalker. But he's the villain is, I think, interesting because it's not really that's not expected at the very beginning of the book. You're not expecting him to be the villain. And it kind of gives you that like hope that maybe maybe he'll come out from under this fugue and he'll be able to reconnect with Jarena and maybe they'll be able to work things out and he won't try to murder people anymore. It seems to me like the most, to me, the most interesting bit is what what's going on with the bad guy plan. Yeah, I would have liked to know more about that too. But I, that's, that didn't seem like it was as much an Ikoria story. So like I wasn't going like, man, I wish the Ikoria story had been, you know. Yeah, I guess it just, it seems like they showed up on this plane, started doing something with the Ozolith. Then Luca came and he was interfering. And so they're like, hey, guess what? Instead of interfering with him, you can just have all this power. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then they're fine with that. They, they, they're gone. Not, not part of the story now. And then he goes off to start doing some more stuff about his story, right? And then what he's doing is interfering with the planeswalker again. So like, hey, wait, wait, don't do that. But this time he doesn't listen and blows up the Ozolith. Well, I think what it was was and they still the, don't um, show up the bad guy planeswalker was trying to use the Ozolith magic to make the monsters take down Draneth. And he had the nightmares around the Ozolith to protect it, but like that wasn't what his goal was. His goal was the monsters that he was sending to fight Draneth, like the cat that Luca bonded with and broke from that that control, you know? Like he was trying to mm-hmm. destroy Draneth somehow. And so like he gave Luca the power because he saw that it's like, yeah, if Luca walks up with an army of monsters, they're not gonna let him in. And then he might be tempted to like mm-hmm. storm the city that way. Okay, see. I guess I was under the impression that the bad guy planeswalker here like Basically, didn't know or care about this entire. No, story. I think they were using they. They were thinking that Luca would make a great pawn and that Luca would accomplish their goal of destroying Draneth. And then whenever okay. Luca, but like I think they're kind of also like not super invested in it. And so when Luca was going to blow up the Ozlith on accident, they're kind of saying like they were actually going like, "Hey, this is dumb," but they're not like going like, "Stop, stop, don't do this." They're just like, "This isn't going to work," and Luca's not listening to him. Yeah, so I guess I still, though, I wonder what is they were talking about. I don't know. Their thing? But that, that's something that I would find interesting to find out. I thought it was a good story, mostly because I thought it did a good job of explaining what was going on in the set when there's a bunch of apparently disparate things going on in the cards. But with the uh, story there, it kind of makes a lot of sense. I don't really know what cycling is supposed to be rep- representative of, but, you know... Stuff like mutate and like the ability counters and stuff like I think that doesn't make sense because like oh it's like showing like all the monsters are unique and stuff that's cool. All right, well unless there's something else that you want to tell us, don't check out that judge card. Sure thing. Yeah, judge call this week is prompted partially by the coverage from the season finals I was watching. And not the season finals event itself, but the co- the coverage of it. And then a game I had that reflected the same thing on Arena that same night. So on Sunday, I was watching the finals, and while players were sideboarding, they did their ads thing, right? And one of the things they did was, like, top five magic moments this week. And Emma Handy was attacking with a questing beast and some other creatures, and their opponent blocked the questing beast and another creature and then sacrificed their Alciades of Life's bounty to give their creatures that were blocking protection from green. But Questing Beast has a line of text on it there that says 
combat damage from creatures you control can't be prevented. And if you give a creature protection from green, the way it stops it from dying is it prevents the damage the green creature would deal to it. But Questing Beast is not allowing that. And so the Questing Beast and the other green creatures still get to deal damage. And in the video that happened, like the Questing Beast lived and like, I think Emma Handy's other creature died. But the two things that were blocking them both died. And also they lost their Alciades because they sacked them to give their things protection, right? And that person was playing a Luris of the Dream Den deck. And Luris with uh, Aura on it was what they were using to block the Questing Beast. And so they lost their Luris, they lost their Aura, and they were planning on being able to replay those Alciades next turn because they, or at least one of them, because they had their Luris. And so, like, they're just, their entire strategy just lapsed because they tried to block Questing Beast and then give their creature protection from green to stop it from dying. Yeah, and so then I was playing on Arena, and I was playing, I don't remember what deck in the handy was playing, but I was playing just my mono green deck that I'd just been playing for a while. And my opponent yeah. had was playing the same Luris Enchantments deck that Emma Handy's opponent was playing, and they, they blocked my Questing Beast with a 5-4 Luris, and they gave it protection from green with their Alciade, and they, you know they, they still traded, and my opponent lost their entire board because they, they just had their Luris with a couple Auras, and they had their Alciade, and then I had like a Questing Beast and a Yorvo, and I didn't attack with Yorvo because I didn't want something to happen. I was like, if they have some kind of shenanigans, at least Questing Beast has death touch and it'll still kill the thing, you know? And so I was like, it'll be fine. We'll do this, right? And like, they're just, their defenses collapsed. And I was just like, man, I just saw that happen to somebody on the stream. And that happened to my opponent here. So like, maybe that's a thing that people don't understand, right? And unfortunately, like on Arena, you can't, like you have emotes, but your opponent can't go like, what happened? Yeah, it's like, you know, Whenever it's done, it's it's done, and you, there's no rolling it back. Like, if I was playing with somebody in paper, they would make that block, and I might let them, like, sack their Alciate, and then, like, all right, damage? And they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, cool. Your thing's dead because you can't prevent damage, and that's how protection works. But I just wanted to be, like, demonstrate that to you. We can back it up, and you can not do that block because I understand you don't know how that works. Sure, and I'm less even thinking about that and more the fact that if, if this happens on Arena and you can't communicate whether or not it's going to actually happen. Yeah, like, they if it happens, they might just think it's a bug. They know? don't know. Yeah, like, clearly they don't know this is how it works, because they wouldn't have done it, right? So, but that's true, you but don't frequently also can't whenever a card denies some other card's effect, it'll flash a red ring around the card saying, hey, this card did a thing. Like, if you try to draw a card and you can't draw yeah. extra cards because your opponent has a Narset in play... It'll you won't draw anything and Narset will flash with a red circle. And since I'm not on the other side of it, I don't know if it showed up, but it questing beast could have flashed red. So like, hey, there's a thing here you should have read. Yeah, but even if it did, I would not be surprised. But yeah, it's like one of those things that if you don't that know didn't know what that how that interaction works, reading the questing beast is not really gonna explain it to you. And so it's like somebody who just forgot the little flashing ring is helpful. But yeah, so like that's what something that the thing I wanted to bring up was just like the way protection keeps your creature from ki- dying in combat with another creature is by preventing the damage that other creature would deal. And so if there's something, some effect, be it Questing Beast or the card um, Insult to Injury, if there's any kind of card in play saying like damage can't be prevented, then your guy will still die even if you give it protection. Yeah, why don't, if you don't mind, Owen, why don't you just tell us what actually does protection? Protection says that the creature with protection cannot be targeted by, dealt damage by, or enchanted by, or blocked by 
cards of whatever category it has protection from, be that instant sorceries, green creatures, cards owned by a certain player, whatever it is. If it's got protection, that's what it that's how that works. And so one of the things is like, you know, targeted removal spells can't hit protection creatures that have protection from instants or sorceries or that color of spell or whatever it is, because they can't target it. And then like damaged base board wipes can't kill them because they can't deal damage to them. Non-damage base board wipes can hit them because they don't say anything about stopping it from being destroyed. And they can stop. They can block creatures of that color indefinitely because any damage that would be dealt to them would get prevented. But because it says it can't be dealt damage by cards of that color or type or whatever. But if you have some other effect like that that says damage can't be prevented in magic, something that stops a thing from happening generally overwrites effects that cause a thing to happen. There is some you know exceptions because there's exceptions to every rule, especially in magic. But that's about how that works. That and like card rules overwrite games. Yeah, and so and so the game rules say this protection creature can't be dealt damage by questing beast. Questing beast says you can't stop me. Right. That and also say like card rules overwrite game, which means by and large things that say this can happen are on a card overriding a game rule that normally says in the game yeah, this can't true. happen. Uh, cards don't usually say this can happen a thing that normally can't yeah. happen, you know? So, so that that works that direction, but any card that says this can't happen is... going to cancel out other cards. Like, there's a game happen. rule that's... Yeah, there's basically a game rule that says cards that say can't overwrite cards that say can, so then that works, uh, and the exceptions are down to, you know, a card overwrites yeah. that. Be like, in this case... <laughs> Which I can't think of any of those off the top of my head, but I know there are times where a card's like, you can do this even if you normally could not. Yeah, so... Yeah, and so that's just a thing, like, super relevant to standard players right now. Watch out for Questing Beast whenever you're trying to use your LCAs. Or God's Willing, I guess, is another card that gives protection that's highly played in standard... Or, not highly played right now, but it's played. So, that yeah, that's, was, that's a judge call for today. It's just that it's something that's not super complicated, like some of our layers questions have been, but it's something that I, have, I saw happen on the, the Magic stream and also then happened to me in a game that very same day yep sounds good man yeah all right cool man so we we don't actually have any feedback again this week i don't know how many that is but that's a few in a row so listeners if we have any i'd, I'd love to hear from you guys uh, so you can get in touch with us at planeswalkerspod at enginewithin.com Donovan, if somebody wants to contact you about finding out if you have some product at Boardwalk that they can come pick up, where uh, they want you? something like that that they want to do quickly, like if they want some of that Aquaria stuff that comes out Friday, i.e., tomorrow, then you may want to message the Boardwalk Games Facebook page. A little bit more responsive on there, but you're welcome to tweet me on Twitter and find me at day underscore Donovan if you have any questions that are a little bit slower paced. Cool. And if you want to hear more from me, I'm Engine Within on the Twitter. And you can listen to our other podcasts called List of Dimension. You should be able to find that wherever you're listening. You obviously know Casper, so search up all the games and do that for me. I'm Or you can always find it at more from this show and all kinds of other things at youtube.com. Or best of all, support the show at patreon.com. Slash Asian within. That's it. Later days, yo. Awesome lasagna. Get me.
cool. Wow. Thanks for sticking with us through all that, everyone. This is Duncan coming at you from the editing booth in the future. And I just want to let you guys know we had a little bit of technical difficulties on this episode. So there are some parts that sound a little bit weird or bits where we cut out during the middle of a word or something. And I tried to fix as much as I could. And some of the weirdness is me fixing a problem. And you may have noticed towards the end there, when we are just doing the credit style stuff, I kind of just gave up on it and let it go. So hopefully we won't have any more of that in the future, but I appreciate everyone. Thanks again. Y'all have a good day, night, I don't know, whatever it is for you. Kamigawa happened 